You're listening to the Theology Mom podcast. And now, here's Theology Mom, Krista Bontrager. Good evening, everyone. I hope you are doing well. Uh, Happy Tuesday to everyone, and I want to welcome you to this live stream. I'm looking forward to this topic tonight, tackling another question that is coming up a lot as Monique and I are out on the road. So I figure, you know, when I start getting a bunch of questions on the same topic, maybe it's time to do a live stream on that topic. All right. So that's what we are going to do tonight. I will be joined by a special guest uh, tonight at the end of the stream, and he's going to be helping me with the questions. So make sure you get your questions there in the chat so that um, we can address those toward the end. So um, we're going to be talking, I've entitled tonight's conversation, uh, Cultivating Consistent Family Devotions. And I have been thinking a lot about this and um, on my own journey with this issue. And so I'm going to share some thoughts. I'm going to share some thoughts from my friend, Uh, Pastor Jeremy Bannister, who's helped to shape uh, some of my thinking in this area as well. And so I'm hoping that you will find this talk um, helpful in terms of theologically to help you build a framework for why this is important, but also practical as uh, and give you some, some next steps to move forward. So that's really the goal tonight. Now, many of you may have seen these alarming sort of shock statistics of our current reality of, you know, 2% of Gen Z having a biblical worldview. And and this really is a shocking number. Uh, This is now come out in a couple of Barna surveys. So if you want to know more about what's behind this number, go to the Barna people. Don't write to me. I, I don't take surveys. I read surveys. So Go see the Barna people. But, um, and, you know, somewhere between two and 4%, but also somewhere in the two to 4% range is now parents of children who have parents who have children under the age of 13. Um, two to 4% have a biblical worldview. So now we're in a place where not only our young people are emerging as adults and not really having a well-formulated Christian worldview. Um, We're in an era now where even the parents are struggling. And I'm noticing that too. What I see as a trend is that many Christian parents who are millennials, who are signing up for my online classes, signing up for our book groups, there's definitely a, a, a thread of a story arc with many of those people that we are interacting with at the ministry, they're saying, I grew up in the church. I've gone to the church church my whole life. Now I have kids and I'm realizing I only kind of have this very thin veneer understanding of my faith. And so as much as I want to pass on my faith to my children, I'm struggling as well. So if that is you, if you are in that boat, um, hopefully this will be of some help to you tonight as sort of a life raft uh, to get in (laughs) and to get a plan together. So as I was preparing for uh, this presentation, I wanted to um, offer a little bit more than just the shock bowl of the 2% of Gen Z um, have a biblical worldview. And so I did some more digging on the Barna site. And I came across this study that I thought was interesting. Now, this this is t- uh, almost 11 years old, but I think it, it probably is still pretty true. Uh, there was a study called the Faith That Lasts Project. And they uh, part of their conclusions is they came up with six reasons why teens leave the faith. I thought these were interesting. Reason number one is that churches seem overprotective. And, you know, from a teen's perspective, I can understand that from mom and dad's perspective, that might not be such a bad thing. But from the teen's perspective, they felt like the church churches are very overprotective. 
Uh, reason number two is that teens and 20-somethings experience Christianity as being fairly shallow. I can understand that. That is consistent with the feedback that I get to in, in letters from um, people in their 20s. And that's one of the reasons why they're attracted to a ministry like ours, because we're having more substantive conversations. And that's actually um, helpful to them. And they're wondering, how come I'm not hearing these kinds of discussions in my local church? Reason number three, churches come across as antagonistic to science. I spent over two decades on this one issue, um, working this out in the homeschool arena and the teaching arena, the church youth group arena. And I think that this is an issue. And I think science apologetics is something to give consideration to because for some, God has just pre-programmed certain kids' minds. It's about 15% of our kids are just programmed with those kinds of questions. They want to ask the scientific questions. And so you have to know where to, to go um, for quality answers. Now, that's not every kid. I had one kid that was more like that than the other. But, you know, that that is an issue for some. Reason number four, young Christians church experience related to sexuality as being often simplistic and judgmental. They see the, the Christian ethic of, um, you know, issues on, on uh, the LGBT conversation, um, sex outside of marriage and all of that. They see that as being judgmental and really not like enough rigor, you know, to, account for the complexities in the real world. Reason number five, they wrestle with the exclusive nature of Christianity. In other words, is Christianity the only way to God? Um, there's a lot of other competitors out there in the arena of spiritual ideas, and this is difficult for them. They feel like they don't have good answers to this question. Reason number six, the church feels unfriendly to those who doubt. And there are apologists who specialize in that one issue of how do we talk to our children about their doubts. So this just goes a little bit deeper behind that shock pole of the 2% of what are some of those issues often lurking in the minds of young people that causes them to leave the church or potentially even deconstruct from the faith altogether. Um, in a different study, this one's from 2018, I wanted to also like flip the script and do something positive because this leads us right into tonight's conversation. And that is five predictors of spiritual health for young adults. And I thought that these were so interesting. Uh, the first one is that the child regular, regularly read the Bible while growing up. Uh, that this was a key indicator of the child being able to transition their faith into adulthood. And that is going to be a critical focus in our conversation tonight. Um, number two predictor of spiritual health for young adults is the child regularly spent time in prayer while they were growing up. Um, so they were engaging in key spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines. The child regularly served in their church while growing up. They, they had some kind of family focus on service in their local church. The child listened to primarily Christian music. So that tells me that there was some input probably from the parents about helping the child process what kinds of information they are putting into their mind, how they are feeding themselves and their soul. The child participated in church mission trips or projects. And finally, this one was not part of this survey, but it was part of some other ones. I saw it on a few other surveys. So I just threw it in here at the end is the impact of grandparents or intergenerational friendships. They said there was a couple of studies that said the, the cure for these problems is not to isolate all the young people. I thought that was interesting because that's often the suggestion is we're going to isolate all the young people, give them their own worship service and focus all the attention on them and their needs. That's actually not helpful. <laughs> what they need is some kind of structure and encouragement to engage in meaningful 
intergenerational friendships and have some people who are older than them um, speaking into their lives. So more than having the idea of like, we're just passing the baton from one generation to the next, having more of a model of, hey, we're all in this together and we're going to um, help each other. So so that kind of brings us, you know, a little bit more clarity behind just throwing out this really crazy number, like 2% of Gen Z having a biblical worldview. You know, what goes into that number, but also what does preserve a child's faith? What are some of those factors in growing spiritual health? So, um, and again, if you want to know more, you can go look up um, the the Barna studies and also uh, my friend Jim Wallace um, from Cold Case Christianity has an amazing blog post where he lists summaries of, I don't know, it's got to be at least 50 studies in there about kids and faith. And um, so go check that out if you just want to really get into the nitty gritty. Again, don't write to me. Don't post in, don't post in my comments. I, I, uh, I don't know all those answers, but, but uh, those are two resources. You can go to the Barna Group and then also go check out Jim Wallace's Cold Case Christianity for a summary of all of that research. So in my own journey with this issue of discipleship, I'm going to kind of come clean here a little bit. Um, I think that for a lot of my kids' childhood, I, I was so involved in apologetics and I thought, you know, I'm having these conversations with my kids and um, I did a little apologetics club at my church when my um, when our older daughter was in high school and that was great. And so I thought, man, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my thing here. You know, I'm discipling my kids. Meanwhile, I'm working in the realm of professional apologetics and I'm noticing like, even though apologetics is getting bigger, I mean, apologetics is way bigger than it was 30 years ago when I started out. And and there's a lot more diversity of apologists and people have different specializations. And it's not just like 10 people at the tippy top anymore. I mean, there's, there's thousands of people, you know, all over the internet, big ministries and smaller ministries that are all doing work in, in their own unique gifts and calling to help defend the faith. And I think that's wonderful. Um, but what I was noticing as I was working in the professional realm of apologetics is that these numbers of attrition rates weren't getting any better, like a proliferation of apologetics ministries and even apologetics ministries to youth wasn't helping. And I couldn't figure that out because I really thought in my heart for probably 15, 20 years that the solution for kids leaving the faith, which will just teach them apologetics, that will solve this whole problem. And what I started noticing was that that in some cases was helpful, but I started sensing like there's something else that's the miss here. There's something else that I'm not seeing and that we're still turning out young people who have this this picture of God that's like kind of a great counselor in the sky, this moral therapeutic deism. And some of them know some apologetics facts, but they don't have a complete understanding of scripture. And they had these wide gaps in their biblical knowledge. And um, my daughter... My older daughter really noticed this in her small group. I think it was her senior year in high school where she had other gals in her church small group, all, all of whom grew up in the church. I knew their parents, like strong Christian parents. These girls didn't know the difference between the Joseph of the Old Testament or Joseph, Jesus's father. And that was very alarming to my daughter. And she's like, you know, this is weird. <laughs> they didn't know the difference between John the Baptist and John the Apostle. 
And these are just basic Bible facts. And, you know, I didn't have all these dots connected in my mind. It was just still kind of a season of noticing. And um, then about maybe three years ago, my husband had the idea of us all reading the Bible together as a family. Um, and I'm, I'm so glad we did. And so we started, I think, in the Gospel of John and uh, just started reading one chapter a day and um, keeping it very simple. And I'll talk later about what we do. But we immediately... We're like, our, our response was, why didn't we do this sooner? Why didn't we think of this sooner? This started making such a difference for us. Now, hindsight is always 2020. And you're looking back in your rearview mirror and you're thinking, you know, why didn't, why didn't we do this earlier? But since that time, I've become such an advocate for encouraging families to figure out and get a plan for how to disciple their kids. And it has to be more than just teaching them apologetics. And I'm going to talk a little bit about why that is. But I think that our focus, it, we're well-intentioned on wanting to talk about apologetics. And I'm, apologetics has its place. I've made my living as an apologist for over two decades. I believe in it. I still believe in it. But what I didn't see in my rearview mirror, what I didn't see in my blind spot was a focus on the Bible first. What I didn't see was that foundation with my kids of the Bible first. And I, I have to say that I think that based on the research and what I'm seeing in, in real life, that has to be the priority over devotional books, over apologetics programs, over curriculum. This is not a show to tell you, here's the magical curriculum that you need in order to inoculate your child against deconstruction. A curriculum cannot do the, the supernatural work in the same way that the Holy Scriptures can. And we have got to get to a place where we understand the difference between tools to help us understand scripture and Holy Scripture itself. So those are some, some hard lessons I've had to learn and some of the journey that I've been on in recent years. So here's kind of a three-step process to help orient you to developing and cultivating a habit of family devotions. And the first step to that, I think, is getting to conviction. You, you have to get to conviction as a parent that daily Bible reading is vital for my spiritual health and for my child's spiritual health. If you are not invested at the conviction level that this matters, there will always be the tyranny of the urgent to take your eye off that goal. And so I think where this has to start is a heart posture of this is what we are going to do. This is what we are deciding as a family and we are going to do hard things. Um, and so I think that's where it starts. And for me, the scripture that I have meditated so much on in the recent last couple of years is from Luke chapter nine. It says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save, will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Other translations I actually like better, forfeits his own soul. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the son of man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the father and of the holy angels. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? That is a very provocative question 
from our savior. And I think that we need to reflect on that. It, it, to me, that's what I mean when I mean conviction, that it so grasps our heart that we want to instill in our children that kind of an orientation that they want the things of eternity more than they want the things of this world. And um, I like how my friend uh, Jeremy Bannister puts it. He says it's about putting Jesus first, even over good things. Like education is a good thing. We're not here to villainize education or playing sports or jobs or money or any of that. All of those things can have their proper place. But the question is, is how are we orienting our child's heart to put Jesus first, even over all of these things? Because I think that we as parents, we're, we're okay with sending a lot of messages to our kids and building structures around AP classes and going out for the football team and the cheer squad. And again, I'm not villainizing any of those things, but we what messages does it send our kids when we make space and put priority on those things, but Jesus and discipleship is sort of an afterthought? Trust me, our kids get those messages. Even if we aren't explicitly telling them, hey, football is more important than Jesus. Our, the messaging of how we are um, even silently um, communicating to them about how we order our family time and priorities could be inadvertently sending them that message. First Timothy chapter six talks about godliness with contentment is great gain. That, that is a powerful thing to reflect on. We brought nothing into this world and we cannot take anything out of this world. If we have food and clothing with these, well, we, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich can fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. The love of money. It's not saying money is the root. It's the love of money. What does my heart belong to? What is my conviction? It is through this craving that we have wandered away from the faith and pierced ourselves with many pangs. But as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Instead, Paul um, exhorts Timothy to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, and gentleness. The Christian life is one of contentment. And so we want to begin to think intentionally about what we are communicating with our actions, our life choices, our time choices, our money choices. All of those things communicate something to our kids. So just to, to, to really put a fine point on things, I want to be crystal clear. And what I'm not saying, what I am not saying is I am not talking about fitting Jesus into your already busy schedule. That's not what this conversation is. Okay. So we're not going to take your existing schedule and figure out, well, you know, how do I put the family devotions or discipleship efforts into the existing crazy calendar? That's, that's not what we're saying. What I am saying is we want to start with a question, how will we make discipling our children our priority? So if that's like, okay, we're going to kind of start from the ground up. We're going to ask the question of discipleship, thinking back on those, those things that go into a healthy spiritual life. All right, mom and dad. All right, let's sit down. We're going to plan. We got the kids for this many more years. We got, we got this kid at home for six more years before they go to college or trade school or whatever. How many mission trips do we want to try to go on as a family? How are we going to serve together as a family? What are we going to encourage this child to start doing um, for service at our church? 
So sitting down, figuring out those priorities from the start, and that might have some consequences for what extracurricular things we can build in. And again, we're not demonizing those things. We're not saying they're bad things, but we want to teach our children through our example how to keep the main thing the main thing. And the only way we can do that, I think, is is by starting that conversation with Jesus at the foundation. First Corinthians chapter three is another passage I love to reflect on. Um, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care of how he builds upon it for no one can listen to this, these words from St. Paul, no one can lay a foundation other than the one that is laid which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day. In other words, the day of judgment will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each of us has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved as, but only as through fire. So these are some, some passages that I don't know if we always are reflecting on. Like we love the passages about, you know, positive thinking and, and prosperity and this sort of thing. But we also have to be circumspect about teaching our kids kids that there will be a judgment day for them. And that even though they will stand before the throne of God, you know, maybe as a Christian, the things that they do on this earth do matter. And what are they sowing into, into a life of holiness, into um, building on that foundation, which is Christ. And so football might not be the thing that uh, brings them, you know, through that fire. Um, pursuing riches might not be the thing that brings them through that fire. And I'm going to tell you straight up, this is a hard road. Some of you are about to turn off this stream and I want to encourage you to hang in there. But this, this is a hard road because if you get to the place of conviction of, yeah, you know, we've been going down this, this path, we need to make some changes. You start parenting differently people are going to notice people are, people might even think you're kind of weird. Uh, you're, and you got to be strong enough to be okay with that, that people will think you're different. People will wonder about your priorities. They will wonder, you know, about why your kids aren't participating in, in things the same way as other people. And so you're going to have to, again, be convicted in your heart as to what scripture says. And you can't ride my coattails on that. You got to go search the scriptures. You have to reach a conviction with the Holy Spirit about how you are going to order things in your household. And just know that you're going to be raising a child who is swimming upstream. They're going to be different. They're going to stand out. So not only are you going to stand out as a parent, your child is going to stand out among their peers. And you have to help them mentally know that they will be different. You are different. They will be different and that that is okay. And so we're going to shift our conviction from um, fitting in and being nice and not making waves to, all right, I'm going to be a stand for Jesus. I'm going to disciple my kids this way. We're going to rearrange time priorities and all of that. So that's my first word is conviction. My second word is commitment. Um, A commitment, because having a commitment will help you overcome obstacles. Anyone who has ever set a goal in fitness knows that a commitment is what gets you out of bed at five in the morning to go on that run for a half marathon. A commitment is what helps you overcome obstacles. Is it you know, like, okay, I'm convicted. This is the right thing to do. Okay, I'm committed to doing it. How do I then enact 
that. And so the three of the common obstacles that I hear over and over from parents is time, format, in other words, what do we do, and cooperation. How do I get the cooperation of the kids? These are the obstacles. But if you're committed, you're not going to let these obstacles stop you. If you're committed, you're not going to let these obstacles be the end of the conversation. Rather, you're going to push through the obstacles because you've already had conviction in your heart uh, from the Lord, from the scriptures, and now you're committed to seeing it through. So you're going to go over that wall. You're going to make a way out of no way. You're going you're gonna to do some things like Monique would say in her household, if she didn't want to do something and she would tell her mom, I didn't want, she didn't want to do something. Her mother would say, that's interesting, sit down. And she would do it anyways. And so, you know, we have to, commitments will help us overcome obstacles. At the first sign of trouble, we won't give up. At the first sign of a, 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 a resistant child, we won't give up because we're committed and we're convicted that this is where we're going to go and we're going to go there together as a family. So in helping you keep that commitment, here's some basic steps for you to think about and get started. Um, first of all is to think about, all right, how, how are we starting, you know, and understanding kind of some differences between a group experience with family devotions altogether as a family or an individual experience. And we're going to tease that out a little bit more in a few minutes. Um, in both of those sides, but you're going to have to give thought to both of those. Um, a very great practical piece of advice that my, uh, my friend Jeremy Bannister has given to people is you can have a family meeting. You kind of make an announcement, mom and dad have made this decision, and we're going to set the expectations. This is what we're going to start doing. Here's the day and the time. So it's not like the kid comes down one morning to breakfast and all of a sudden the whole world is different. It, we're, we're giving everybody a heads up. This is what we're going to be up to. This is what it's going to look like. Can I answer any questions? You know, setting the expectations about participation and eye rolling and all of that jazz as to what's going to happen. Okay. So getting started, um, set a launch date, let everyone know like, hey, it's going to start this day and time. Um, and I want to encourage everybody to make sure that they have a physical Bible, not just an app. Um, and it, the, the kid is encouraged to underline in the Bible, get him some of the dry um, highlight pencils if, if they want that, but that, to encourage the child to make that Bible their own, that they can write notes in it, they can underline in it, um, when I was a teenager, I even wrote dates in mine of like certain scriptures that were meaningful to me on a certain day. Uh, maybe if I was at summer camp or something like that, but help your child own their Bible to make it theirs. Have a physical Bible. If your kid doesn't yet know the books of the Bible in order, that can be a family project. We're all going to memorize the books of the Bible. Um, if you have younger kids, uh, get them the reader's version of the NIV so that they can tackle that. I bought um, both of my kids the NIV. Well, my younger daughter was a very strong reader. So I never had her do the reader's version uh, when she was younger. The very first Bible right out of the chute was I got her an NIV. She was extremely strong reader and she was okay with that. That, that worked out. But if you're your kid, you know, is struggling in reading or, you know, that sort of thing. Reader's Bible is fine. Get them started um, with what can be accessible to them. Okay. So those are some practical tips to get started, to help you overcome some of those obstacles. Okay. Number three, our third step in this journey of cultivating consistent family devotions is to be Bible focused. And I alluded to this earlier, but I really want to hit this point. And that is to keep the main thing, the main thing. The Bible is the main thing. Okay. It's not devotion books about the Bible. It's not apologetics tools. It's the Bible. 
So start and with the Bible, make that your primary focus. Um, so let's walk through um, options. Uh, group uh, is the group experience. We're going to look at that first. Because my husband and I were kind of late starters to this whole thing, and we were learning too, we have just, this has kind of been um, our pathway to doing this with our kids who are grown and almost grown. But um, we do it together as a family. So that way that there's some accountability and we keep it very simple. We read and discuss one chapter a day. It's, it's very simple. We have a little opening prayer. We take turns. We take turns each day reading the chapter. So if it's my turn one day, it might be Bob's turn the next day, Monique's turn the next day, um, Abby or Emily, if they're at home from college, it'll be their turn the next day. And we just take turns reading the chapter. And then we discuss it. And what a discussion looks like is we ask questions and we don't always know the answers to these questions, but we ask them and we say things like, wow, this verse is really hard for me, or um, I'm not really sure what I think about this. Or we say things like, this reminds me of this story in the New Testament that seems to be a fulfillment of this story in the New Testament. We say things like, um, I wonder where this place is on the map. And then we have a map nearby. A map is one of the tools that we often use. And we look it up and if there's any places mentioned in that chapter, we'll kind of look them up as a family on the map. And sometimes that, that brings great insight into what's happening in the chapter. Um, so we discuss however long that is until the 30 minutes is up. We got five minutes at the end. If there's any prayer requests, people want prayer for, and then a closing prayer. And that's it. There's no curriculum. There's no structure. This is the structure. <laughs> this is the whole structure. This is it. It's very simple. Um, and uh, we take turns choosing the next book. So um, if it's mom's turn or dad's turn or Monique's turn or whatever, um, Abby chose the book of Esther one time. Emily chose the book of Acts when we were going into Pentecost. Um, we all take turns suggesting a book that interests us. We just finished Leviticus. Uh, that, that was a long haul. There was a lot of things in there that I thought were fabulous. There were some things that none of us understood. Um, but it, I'm glad we were all glad when we did it, that we did it at the end. We all said, like, this is great. Another thing that we do is when the book is over, we'll often have a discussion about what do you think the main idea of this book was? What, and we try to take turns summarizing it. You know, what was the big idea? So that's it. That's, that's what we do. It's, it's not complicated. So basic steps, if you want to try it this way, choose a time. Um, we do 30 minutes, Monday through Friday. Um, we take turns for each task, so everybody participates. Um, we started with a gospel. I think that's good. John is a very accessible gospel. Mark's a shorter gospel. Um, then you can move to an epistle. I think after we did John, then we did Ephesians. That's a nice kind of foundation, a lot of foundational ideas to the Christian life. Um, and ask People in your family, what do they want to read? What are they interested in? I think at one point, um, Monique chose the book of Ruth. Um, Nehemiah was one that Monique wanted to read through. Uh, Abby wanted to read through the book of Revelation. So that, that then we're, we're letting everybody, you know, kind of weigh in on things. Um, and it helped, we have found that it helps to confirm the meeting time every day because sometimes schedules are a little bit changing or if Monique and I have meetings. So we have a little group um, text. And so we'll try to text each other toward the end of the day and say like, Hey, Bible tomorrow at eight or eight 15 or seven forty-five or whatever we have to do. And um, that sort of a thing. And when friends come to visit, we don't shut it down. We just invite them to the table. So when my daughter had friends home from college we just folded them right into it and they thought it was great. And um, so we just folded them right into the rhythm 
And, you know, um, whoever is there, if kids home from college or bring friends home, everybody's going to come. We're going to have Bible together. All right. Uh, some help, couple of helpful tools, not necessary. Don't have to go out and buy anything. But we have found the Rose Book of Bible Charts, Maps, and Timelines to be very helpful. That's kind of one of our go-to tools when we're like, where is this place? <laughs> or what's happening with all of these priestly robes in the book of Exodus? Or Yeah, or in the tabernacle. Lots of great pictures there. You might consider a study Bible. Again, lots of charts, graphs. I think this picture is from the ESV study Bible. Now, I'm going to tell you a little tip about the ESV study Bible. It's like this thing. You're probably not going to like take it with you to church unless you're you got had a really robust workout the, the day before, but it does have some great charts and graphs and pictures in it. So there is that. Okay, option two is the individual experience. The first one is kind of a more simple group-oriented experience. And if that's what you need to get on the freeway to get going, that's good. At least you're you're getting in the mix and you're getting started. Option two is the individual experience. And I think that this is something great to aim for, um, you know, especially if you have, you know, elementary, junior high school kids, um, you know, and you're just getting started and you're trying to cultivate life habits and, and all of those things is figuring out how you're going to um, get a strategy together for that and having a plan. Because here's the thing, is having a plan is really necessary. Anybody who's built a house knows that you have to have a plan. You can't just start arbitrarily um, pounding nails and wood and think you're going to have a house that really stands up at the end. So you've got to have a blueprint. You've got to have a plan. And um, there is a wonderful resource that I'm going to tell you about to help you get that plan going. So if you go over to my friends at womeninapologetics.com, you click on shop, okay? Last year, Jeremy and myself and Monique and our friend Elizabeth Urbanovitz and Ryan Polly, we all did a conference called Discipleship Begins at Home where we laid out a whole strategy for how to lead your children in individual discipleship, how to get a plan, how to get a blueprint. You can still buy this conference from the gals at Women in Apologetics. It is basically a how-to training videos on how to do it. So if you want to get the conference and start teaching yourself, okay, here's walking through the plan, here's what we can do, this is, this is a great tool. It's not that expensive. And we're going to just walk you through it. Jeremy gives three talks in there. It's kind of the cornerstone of the whole thing. I've got a couple of talks. Monique does a talk, Elizabeth, Ryan. And we're all just trying to equip parents on how to disciple their own kids. And, and here's why this matters. Is if, if you're thinking that taking your kid to church for one hour a week on Sunday is going to get the heavy lifting done for discipleship, I, I have to give you a hard word right now. I have to give you a hard word that that's probably not going to be an adequate plan. That's, that's probably not going to get the job done. Now, your church can be a supplement. They can come alongside you, but you as the parent have to take that lead. Now, in the ideal world, you know, that's mom and dad getting on the same page, but not everybody lives in the ideal world because we live in a Genesis three world and there's a lot of complications. And yeah, you, sometimes you got kids in divorced parent situations and going back to and forth to, to different homes. And sometimes parents are believers and sometimes they're not. But that brings me back to my second point, which was commitment. If there's a commitment, you will figure out how to work around these obstacles to the best of your ability. 
might not be perfect, might not be what you would like it to be, but that's where we can trust the Lord to, to continue to work in that. But your commitment as the parent to figure out something um, using these tools to just trust that there will be supernatural fruit that can come from that. Okay. So you have to have the mindset of this is my responsibility. This is not my kid men pastor's responsibility. This is not my youth pastor's responsibility. This is my responsibility as the parent. So what is my plan? Okay. So discipleship begins at home conference is a really good step. Secondly, if you feel like you just kind of want to do it on your own, you don't want to have training, you just want to get started, you can go right now to my friend Jeremy Bannister's website, thenextgenerationministries.com, go on resources, and you can download his free downloadable blueprint. And this is also included if you get the conference through um, Women in Apologetics. But with the Women in Apologetics option, you're getting all the training and the videos and everything. This is just you're going there and you're going to get the raw PDF, the, the blueprint. And you can print it out. You can have them binded at Kinko's. But this will give you a concrete plan for the different stages of your child's life and how to lead them through a study of the Bible multiple times so that by the, the time that they go to high school, they will have read through the Bible multiple times. and. This is, this is what will help to cultivate their faith in a significant way. And then when they take apologetics, it will start to make sense because the apologetics will be building on that scripture foundation rather than giving kids apologetics in lieu of the scripture foundation. Now we're building in the right order. We're laying the foundation and then we're building the superstructure on top of it. Now, so we can get all the other tools in place like apologetics. But if the child doesn't have that strong biblical foundation first, what ends up often happening is that the child still relies on the adult in the equation on their faith, on the apologetics. And they just kind of regurgitate that as the, as the adult in the equation has, has equipped them. So if they really want to own it. It really helps if they have that solid biblical foundation first. Okay, so I'm going to bring Jeremy on here. All right, Jeremy, is there anything <laughs> you want to correct? Anything <laughs> that I said that you're like, what, what, what do you want to say? No, I, I think, I think I would just rather accent a couple of things that you said because. Um, just going back to the whole idea of devotionals, I think some parents out there might might be wondering, why not devotionals? There's some really good devotionals out there. And, and the problem with most devotionals is most devotionals use very little scripture. You know, they use one or two verses. And the way I put it uh, when I talk about uh, devotionals, and I, I wrote a blog on it not too long ago, was that if I take one or two verses of scripture and a story that goes with it, what am I really reading? I'm ending up reading the story. I'm not really ending up reading the scripture, number one. Uh, they're, they're, that's one of the things that happens in, in a lot of these devotionals. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And our, our children are getting used to the stories and not to the scripture. And, and if you think about it, most devotionals don't walk you through the word of God. Uh, they they hit the highlights of all of the popular um, places, you know. So you'll hear about David Bathsheba or David Goliath and and all of these situations that kind of reinforces that uh, therapeutic uh, deism, right? That we're talking about uh, because it's always situational and it always has to do with moral goods instead of building upon the, uh, the you know the deity of of god the deity of christ what he's done for us and that that is our motivation that's the reason why we do what we do and if we took if you just say you read like if you got an our daily bread for an example for an example most churches will have an our daily bread that they'll hand out to people it's a very popular one that you get there's one verse of scripture in each one of those pages and let's say they go through the entirety of the Bible, but I don't see them going through any of First Chronicles 1 through 9 when it's just genealogies. But if they're doing just one verse at a time, it's going to take you 85 years to go through the Bible like that. 
that's not going to build discipleship in you. And it's definitely not going to build discipleship in your kids in any time soon. And so this is why we really encourage stepping into the word of God. And, uh, you know, to the point of Chris's study, I've, I've seen multiple studies and the number one thing on those studies, uh, the, the one that's Krista referenced today and the other ones that I've looked at, the number one thing for, for talking about kids not falling away from their faith, number one, and it's not close. If you look at the charts, it's Bible reading. It's being in the word of God and going through the word of God. And so it's so important to build that discipline. And yet at the same time, I think that that's the most neglected discipline among Christians today. And that's really a shame because it's the one that's the biggest indicator if they're going to continue to keep the faith along with those other things, you know, the prayer, the missions trips, the serving within the church, intergenerational ministry, all of those things are important. But whenever you look at a study like that, Consistently in the studies I've seen, Bible reading is usually a good bit ahead of the other ones uh, as far as an indicator. So those are just a couple of things that that I would add just to augment exactly what Krista has said. Um, let's get into some questions here, Jeremy. Uh, okay. I see on the CFBU Facebook page, Elaine Voss is asking... Is it a higher priority to focus on scripture, memory, verses, and passages, or covering lots of ground in reading with the grander narrative in view? Oh, okay. That's a great question. For my family, so younger kids under 10. Obviously not trying to eliminate one or the other, but how to invest uh, energy wisely. Okay. Uh, if if you're asking me, I'm going to tell you it's better for them to know the word of God in context. And, and here's the reason why. I, I, I wrote a second blog uh, that talked about why I don't believe in Bible memorization. I know that seems like anathema, but um, the truth of the matter is I know a lot of the Bible because I'm familiar with the Bible. If we think of our, our favorite movie quotes, for example, uh, you know, if, you've got, if there's any Star Wars fans that are out there, if you watch the Avengers or whatever it is, whatever your favorite movie is. You can probably quote that movie and quote many parts of that movie, but why can you quote it? Is it because you went to that section of, of that movie and watched that quote over and over again? No, the, the, way, the reason why you can do that is because you love the movie. So you watch it again and again, and those parts stick out in your mind. And you're like, I know what happens here, and I can quote this. My, my wife's favorite movies are Lord of the Rings. And she'll literally go to sleep. There's nothing like, you know, chopping off orcs heads to make you uh, really tired. And so that's what my wife likes to go to sleep to. Um, we're a strange family. It's okay. Um, but the the thing is, she'll quote, my whole family will quote Lord of the Rings and all the things about Lord of the Rings around the gaming table and every place else. Why? Because we've watched it so many times. The best way for Bible memorization, truly, in my opinion, is be familiar with the scriptures so well that we've read it again and again and again and again, and now we can quote it, and we can quote it in context. And to me, that's more important than a Bible verse like learning the Romans Road or something like that. Romans Road is great, but how many people have quoted the Romans Road but don't know the context of the book of Romans from where it came from? To me, that that's a... That's a um, something that that is deficient about normal Bible memorization. So, yeah, if you want one or the other, go for the overarching story and read it again and again and again. You'll find your child will learn the scriptures that way much better. So I think just to add to that, probably what I would say is maybe consider at least having students or kids memorize like maybe the Ten Commandments the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, those are kind of three basics, um, you know, as historical foundations for the faith, maybe Psalm 23. But yeah, I, I hear you, Jeremy, and the importance of knowing things in context. There, that is just uh, almost, a, I feel like, a lost skill these days. And and even the adults struggle with, you know, looking at things in context. So I, I definitely hear what you're, what you're saying there with that. Okay. Somebody's asking me on the CFBU Facebook page, how old my kids are. 
uh, right now they are 22 and 18. So we probably started this when they were 19 and 15, something along those lines. So, yeah. Teenager-ish. Okay. All right. Here's another great question on Facebook CFBU. I'm in the younger parenting years. I have a five-year-old, 15-year-old, and pregnant with number three. We have a great children's Bible. Do you recommend children's Bible? Recommend reading it from front to back, Old Testament versus New Testament. Does it even matter? Just just read. That's that's a great question. Yeah. I, um, one of the things that we do, if uh, you go over to, to our website with the next generation uh, ministries.com, we have a couple of blueprints and we have uh, one for younger kids that they're starting the discipleship process, fifth grade and under, that's the one we recommend. And if they're uh, sixth grade and older, and it sounds like you've got one of both, right? And there's a five-year plan. And that would be a great one for you as a parent as well. But what we try to do is we, we want to build a framework of understanding. And so we start in the New Testament, because if the story of the Word of God is about Jesus, we want them to know about Jesus first. So we start them in the New Testament and work our way through the New Testament, leading to the Old Testament. We end uh, in our reading plan, we end with the books of Romans we end with the books of Hebrews and Revelation. And the reason we end with those three, they're, they're harder books and their kids aren't going to understand everything in them, but they lead us to an understanding of Old Testament things that are going to be introduced as they move into the Old Testament, such as the law with uh, Romans, such as the Leviticus and, and the uh, sacrificial system and the tabernacle with Hebrews. And then Revelation is going to introduce them into prophecy because many people don't recognize that a lot of Revelation is quoting Old Testament prophecy. There's so much in there. And it's just not, even in your Bibles, it's not written on the bottom there because it's alluded to. And so it's important for your children to be able to see um, those things come to life. And so if you give them a New Testament understanding of the Old Testament before they walk into it, it's easier for them to recognize it when they're reading it through the first time. And so that's what we we encourage and and we walk people through through our blueprints. Okay, uh, let's go to the YouTube stream. There's a question there from Alicia. Uh, one question I've been hearing a lot is, "What language do we use when referring to scripture narrative? It's a habit to refer to them as stories, but that seems to imply fiction." That's an interesting question. Mm. Uh, what are your thoughts about that, Jeremy? I I always refer to it as scripture. I don't I don't necessarily. I'll talk about it as accounts. You know, so if we're we're reading something as an account, it moves it from that story realm into a nonfiction realm, right? So if I'm I'm talking about an account that is there. We don't talk about Harry Potter and the accounts that are in Harry Potter. We talk about the stories that are in Harry Potter. But in in the Bible, I think it's important that we use the phraseology of accounts. If we move it to that, we move it to a historical framework because it is. It's history. We're not just talking about fanciful made stories. That's exactly what Peter says. You know, we're not talking about made up stories when we saw, you know, Jesus transfigured before us. You know, we, we were witnesses of his glory. So I think we want to include that in our conversations as well. Very good. That's, that's such a great answer. Um, all right, we're going to wrap it up here, Jeremy. Uh, tell everyone one more time how they can get connected with you. You're available also to come to churches and do a similar training that we did uh, for the Discipleship Begins at Home conference. Absolutely. You can, uh, you're taking that act on the road. So That's right. So um, if you guys are interested in in kind of a live version of what, you know, smaller but live version of what we did with the WIA conference, then you are more than welcome to contact me at that same website, thenextgenerationministries.com. Uh, also, we have a Facebook page that you can get connected to there. We've got a YouTube channel where 
all of the content that we have, much like what Krista does here, you know, the content that's online is free. We want you to take advantage of that and use that as, as much as possible. We've got blog posts that you can get connected to and the like, but all of it is for you as parents to help equip you. And so if you want to bring us out and uh, have us speak at your church and help equip your families, that's what our ministry exists for. And we would love to be able to do that. So God bless you guys. Great. I'm so excited uh, to let people know once again about your ministry. Jeremy and I did a podcast um, last summer, I think, uh, too, mm-hmm. on um, just continuing these themes. So if people want to hear more of our conversation, go there, get connected to the Discipleship Begins a Home Conference. So lots of ways to get people launched into discipling their kids. Thank you so much for all you do for the body of Christ, Jeremy. We appreciate it. Well, and thank you for having me here. I was, I enjoyed every moment of it. So. All right, my friends, we're going to say good night and God bless you as you go forward. Make sure to share this stream with a friend who needs this information. Maybe even share it with your kid ministry pastor and uh, get a conversation going about discipleship and uh, how the local church can support parents and really centering parents in the efforts to disciple their kids. Thank you so much for watching. God bless and good night. Be sure to follow Theology Mom on Facebook and like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Don't forget to catch Krista next week for more theology fun on Theology Mom and all the things. Thanks for listening.